I'm Ted Chapin, chairman of the American Theatre Wing, and I'm delighted to be joined today by composer, lyricist, author, and two-time Tony winner, Robert Bobby Lopez. Hi. Welcome, Bobby. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for uh, now, having me. I, I wanted to start by, by saying that you, first of all, congratulations on the Book of Mormon, the multi-Tony winning Book of Mormon. It's a wonderful show. I've enjoyed it every time I've seen it. Thank you. Um, Seven years ago, you had Avenue Q, which was your Broadway debut, Mm -hmm. which also won the Tony. So first of all, congratulations on two Tonys, two times at bat. I'm still scratching my head about that. (laughs) (laughs) But you did a few things in between, which we'll get to in a second. But I thought you're a married man with two young daughters, and you have two Tony Award-winning shows whose cast albums you can't play for your daughters. (laughs) Where did the rebel come from? Where where did the guy with all the bad words in the stuff come from? It, It started before the daughters. You can you can that, but you know you wouldn't one wouldn't have daughters if one wasn't you know uh, interested in matters below the belt. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I, it always feels like part of a um, all of a piece, you know, having being a family person and writing for kids sometimes, and also writing for things that kids couldn't possibly listen to. Now that my kids are getting older and my uh, el- eldest daughter is six, I'm starting to wonder how to negotiate all this. But, <laughs> I always figured I'd cross the bridge when I got there. I'm sure you'll do it. I'm sure you do. Now, you grew up in New York, yes? Yes. A native. Yep. We're a rare breed. (laughs) Um, Obviously, I assume you were interested in the musical theater from the beginning. Um, Did you go uptown and see Broadway shows? And if so, where'd you start? Well, um, you know, my mom and dad were both kind of the fans of musical theaters. I think a lot of people in their generation were, you know, sort of the, the old, older baby boomers. Their favorite movies were um, Sound of Music and West Side Story and My Fair Lady. And they indoctrinated me very young. Good. And, uh, you like that? Um, and I was in uh, elementary school, the same elementary school that uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda later went to. So I think there was something in the water there. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And uh, there was a great teacher there, Barbara Ames, that got us all really excited about. We did West Side Story when I was in fifth grade. Um, <laughs> that's, that's adventurous. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, and and I was like one of the few, um, you know, Latin-looking kids in the school, and yet I was one of the Jets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, schools they write their own rules. <laughs> um, yeah, and the first show I ever saw was Chorus Line uh, when I was in first grade. What did you make of it? I thought it was great. <laughs> I, I was blown away. I, I guess all of it went over my head, but I still loved it. One thing that I think is astonishing about your career is you have worked with three. Distinctly different collaborators. Jeff Marks, who you met at the BMI workshop. Mm-hmm. Your wife, Kristen, who you also met, I believe, at the BMI workshop. Right. And then the guys from South Park, Trey and Matt. Yes. So I would imagine and, – and you also take credit for everything. It doesn't say music. No, I mean, <laughs> yes, not, none of them no, did anything. Excuse me. You take co-credit <laughs> right. with your collaborators. Um, so it says music and lyrics by, or in the case of Book of, of Mormon, book music and lyrics by. Yeah. So, so I assume that you are – I mean obviously you are a successful collaborator. But is there anything that you can say about what it's like sharing sort of everything? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because when I was a kid, uh, I started writing uh, my own songs very young – um, I wrote my first song at seven. But that was like a little little four bar song. Has it then, made its way into any show? Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't imagine what the show would be about. There's time. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the uh, the first song I wrote for a show was I was twelve or something like that. Uh, and after that, I wrote a show every semester for this um, 
uh, this terrific program called Find Your Voice that I was in at that uh, at that time. It was um, it's still around now. It's a great program. Is it a school program? Or it's, it's no, it's uh, it's it's outside of a school, but um, but it's it's. I guess it's for teens. It was for teens when it started. Now it's for all ages, and it's it's kind of like it gets kids together, um, and and they write their it's it's they kind of each write a play, and I was That's able cool. to write songs for each of the plays. So I you know and songs to kind of stitch them all together. So and I was a I was a super Sondheim fanatic uh, growing up. I saw um, Follies in concert on TV, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was the thing that really made me want to write. Musicals, oh, uh, just you know. I mean, I had known West Side Story. I knew Stephen Sondheim for that, and and then when I saw Follies, that just blew me away. And um, uh, and so and so, what I was doing from from a very early age was writing by myself. I wrote, uh, and I thought that that was my destiny. I, I was, I was, I thought, well, whatever I do, I'm going to write songs, music, and lyrics myself. Maybe I'll write book two, but I'm definitely going to write the song because I want to be the auteur. Um, and it just, I, I don't know what happened, but I, um, I felt very burnt out after, you know, from age 11 right. to age 22, having this very focused dream and confronting the economic reality of how do you make it in this business. Right. I graduated from Yale with this BA in English saying, you know, <laughs> As what somebody am I going to do? song about exactly. that. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, um, so what I did was I joined the BMI workshop on the advice of, uh, uh, it was actually Alan. I was trying to meet Alan Menken, um, uh, and my mother's friend knew his sister. So I, I talked to. It's the way it works. Exactly. <laughs> I talked to her and I said, you know, does he need an assistant? Um, and she said, no, but, but what you should do is join the BMI workshop uh, because. And I went in thinking, well, I've been doing this since I was eleven. I know what I'm doing. I already know all this stuff. Right. But I went in and and my songs went over okay, but I was burnt out and I wasn't really. You know, I wasn't at my best even for what I was doing. Uh, and I noticed that everyone else who was collaborating was having so much more fun than me. <laughs> and I was just, I was so stressed out about life and expectations and to be middle class, just wondering how I was going to move out of my parents' house. I was, I right. was living in my parents' apartment um, with absolutely no income and just trying to figure out how does one even pay $400 a month in rent. And that, right. that was like the... And what can you do with a BA in English? <laughs> right, exactly. So I thought, well, I'll try anything. And I um, I approached Jeff Marks, who who I thought was doing some fun work in, in the class. Uh, and we seemed to share a sense of humor. And and it, it really came from there. It was, it was me um, just saying, like, look, I'm just going to pretend I don't know anything. I'm just going to do this for fun and have fun with this person because, I mean... Uh, I would rather be having fun than stressing out. Right, right. Was what was Jeff also a composer and lyricist? Uh or was he primarily a lyricist? I think he was a, he got in as a lyricist and then he he became a composer lyricist because he could play the piano and because his collaborator dropped out for some reason, left the class, and uh, so we were two composer lyricists without any people to write with. It is my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that at the BMI workshop, which of course Lehman Engels started and was the the granddaddy of the there actually are rules about writing <laughs> musicals places. Right. That whoever leads it, who was leading it at that time? Uh, Rick, Skip Kennan. Skip Kennan. But that, that the leader kind of puts people together, or is that not true? Yes, it's sort of a round robin, I guess. And when I was in the first year of it, they uh, 
I think they did it randomly, that they made it seem as though it was random. Maybe it wasn't. Then by the end of the year, you're supposed to know enough of the class to find your own collaborator. And aren't you given specific assignments, or is that something from the past? No, that still happens. That's a great aspect of it, because some of the the assignments are so so rotten, such rotten ideas for songs, like the one for... um, Blanche Dubois, for Blanche Dubois, and right. the one for Willie Loman, um, <laughs> that you you are forced to know what it's like to write some to write something that doesn't work. Did you write them funny? Because oh, you write funny. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, I was I was suffering through that first year of the class. I just I remember I wrote half a Blanche Dubois song, and I came in and played half of the song, and I was like, and then it would continue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, you know what, Bobby, you can't keep you can't do that. Yeah. You can't bring in half a the song. The curtain doesn't go up on a Broadway. It's like, <laughs> well, now you're going to hear the rest of it later. <laughs> right. That, that's great. Um, when when you wrote by yourself, mm-hmm. um, this is the classic question but it's always interesting which would come first words or music oh i don't know i it's it's the same as when i write with people now it's it's um it's really the idea the, a good idea for a song that we haven't heard before hopefully that that takes a fresh approach to a situation or or, or some joke or uh just something that subverts your idea of what you're about to hear. Which sometimes it can be music and sometimes it can be lyrics? Yeah, I suppose so because um, when you're writing comedy especially, it's very helpful to play with people's ideas of music right. um, and, and certain certain ideas of, of types of song. Like, um, like in Book of Mormon, like um, – the Disney Hello, Welcome to Africa kind of song, right. uh, Hakuna Matata, or Hasadiga Iboy, that's very much like the music is being sent up in a way and it's subverting your expectations of what a song like that is. Uh, and it wouldn't work without, without that, without your having heard songs like it. Right. And humor in music yes. is, is kind of tough. It is tough. I mean, it's, you know what's tough? It's tough to write something original that no one's ever heard before. First of all, it's tough to write anything original right. that no one's ever heard before. But if you're if you're not pointing to some other kind of music, it's much harder to get laughs out of a song because it's clumsier. You know, comic timing is 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 harder to get into a phrase, especially a, an original phrase of music. I think that's why you know when Sondheim says comedy is the hardest thing, I don't think he means what I do. I think he means trying to write a Sondheim song that is hilarious is right. even harder than writing a Sondheim song that is brilliant and sad and touching. And but and also funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but ha- have you found in some of your comic songs mm-hmm. that it takes several passes to get the comedy right? Or are you, in your collaborations, have you pretty much gotten the ideas and, and eh, kind of there? Well, when you're writing with other people, it helps when you're writing comedy because – you're bouncing ideas off each other, and it's not just, is this good or is this bad? It's, does the other person laugh when you right. say is it? Is it funny? Is it funny? Does it make the person laugh? And that's a, that's a very demanding rule in comedy. It's not just like, oh, that's clever. That's, um, you know, that's, that shows off how, what a punster you are. Like that, none of that matters. It's just, does it make the other person laugh? Mm-hmm. And, and so it can be very enjoyable and fun to work in a room with other people and crack each other up. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the um, you find the comedy. You'll find you find the comedy that way, and then sometimes you've laughed your head off for a week writing a song, and then you play it all in a row, and uh, you know, play the song for somebody, and you realize, oh, somehow we have 
you know, it's, then it's usually a matter of the setup. Like, it's, right. it's, we're not Something introducing not quite... the person. We're not getting the person in the in the audience in the frame of mind to get this joke. But certainly, I have to say, as a theater goer, by the time I saw a preview of Avenue Q and by the time I saw a preview of Book of Mormon, it looked pretty well put together, <laughs> as if you know, as if it was easy. Yeah, I mean, you know, we. <laughs> We always – we knew we had a bunch of funny uh, – we had a very funny concept and uh, working the comedy wasn't wasn't the hard part, I guess, yeah. especially with having Matt and Trey around yeah. who were just hilarious, you know. Um, and having them around makes you funnier because you get – you you know, you vibe with them. They are fun. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit. I, I know that, 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 that you thanked Trey and Matt in your biography of Avenue Q. They came to see the show and it's like, why are we in here? And then you guys talked and mm-hmm. somehow the idea of Mormons came up. <laughs> but was it just the idea because something about the Mormons seemed silly enough to be a subject of a musical comedy or did you have more of an idea i you know i had thought of i had thought of doing a mormon musical and that's what i said they asked me what i wanted to do next and i said something about the mormons because i knew i wanted to write about religion religion was important to me and and the mormons are a wonderful portal into writing everything i wanted to write about with regards to religion about how i i don't necessarily believe that you know god lives in heaven with a beard and all that but but that there's something about it that i think is is very um important you know that that it, it's true in another way and um right because i mean i have to say when i saw the the book of mormon knowing nothing about it i thought you know ultimately there's a sort of pro religion anti and all the garbage that goes around it feeling here which i think it's a heart that has a heart which i think people are surprised by and i think it's part of why people like the show oh yeah thanks i mean i that's what i was working up to saying was that that the hard part is is landing the story and landing the emotion and and landing ideas that um because the ideas of a you know we wanted to say this about religion from the very beginning we said like oh this is we all felt this way about religion it's true and yet it's not um but you can say that Right. At the end of the show, in a, in sort of a, a you know, in, in saying saying the message, but saying the message doesn't communicate the right. message. You have to communicate it emotionally, and people people don't feel as though they've gotten their their Broadway tickets worth unless they have felt like they've gone on a journey, so uh, an, an emotional journey. So I don't know, and I'm not sure if people really take a huge emotional ride with with Book of Mormon. I hope they do, but but we tried to make it as as much as we could. Oh, I I, I think they do. I mean, I think <laughs> I, I actually the second time I saw it, I thought. You know, you could cut out all the scatological stuff in there and still have a good show. Yeah. I know it's not the South Park part of the, the show, but uh, I want to talk about the song, I Believe. Not only was it the song that was done on the Tony Awards, and mm-hmm. I think it was very effective because actually one person on stage with a couple of people behind tends to work on television extremely well. <laughs> um, but but obviously, I mean, you and I talked about the fact that, you know, the, the verse of it is a kind of homage mm-hmm. to a song from The Sound of Music. And, yes. and, and then it's a very funny song with no jokes in it because it actually happens to be the true story of what the Mormons believe in. Yes, it's yes. So how did first of all, how did the homage idea of of I have confidence come come from? And then following it by a song that the guy you know is, it's the passion of as somebody said I think Frank Rich it's sort of the climb every mountain moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's uh, I guess I guess the way it came about was we we had this character Elder Price who um, who really didn't have. Much of a journey in the show for for you know the first reading and the second reading. By the t- by the time we got to the third reading, um, we really needed to address it, and because lots of stuff was being worked out in the first two readings. But then we realized we needed this character to go on a journey, and we needed to give him um, a moment, to, something to sing in the second act. 
And Scott Rudin, the producer, um, suggested this moment while he's on his way to confront the warlord. Um, and we were – I don't know why, but we really didn't want to write it at the time. <laughs> we just we were resisting uh, writing anything else. <laughs> it was right. just laziness. I don't know. But we left the theater. We went to um, a, a recording studio and just kind of sat there and grumbled about it. And then I think it was almost out of contempt for the idea that I said, well, you know, it would be kind of like – uh, you know, I have confidence in me from the sound of music. And Trey was like, I, I don't know that song. So we, we watched a YouTube <laughs> of it and he was like, let's just do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, sometimes, sometimes you have to, you have to say the jokes that come to your mind, right. you know, and there's no bad idea. There's no bad <laughs> idea. Sometimes you can just be, just be, um, having a laugh and, uh, and it turns out to be the right idea for the show. And it turned out to be, uh, you know, all of a sudden we were we were really excited to write it, and um, I'm glad that we didn't just do "I Have Confidence" and that the the, the refrain of the song is not Rodgers and Hammerstein. Well, at yeah, all. I mean that's uh, it, you know, I mean what's funny is I think you you know this, but I got a call from Scott in previews, Scott yes. Rudin, <laughs> and he called. And Scott Rudin is How a, is a fairly straightforward. Oh, I'd known him for years, and he was very like, you know, do you know about this the Rodgers and Hammerstein quote? And I said, first of all, Scott, this is the first time hearing about it, which is a good thing. You've been previewing for a week. I haven't heard anything, so this is a good thing. I said, I'm going to see the show tomorrow. I'm sure we can work something out. And what I loved about it was, first of all, very happy to take it as an homage. Because uh-huh. I think there's a very, as you know, there's a very clever, and there are rules about parodies. There are rules about, you know, and then, there, then there's a whole gray area of like, oh, right. are we, are we, are we? But I assured Scott that whatever it was, we would work it out. <laughs> You know, and then I, I heard it and I thought, oh, first of all, and I'm sure, I hope this still happens, there are about a handful of people in the theater who get the joke <laughs> every performance because it's pretty subtle, but it's very funny. We cha- we did end up changing one, one lyric. Oh, really? Um, we had, uh, um, you can change it back if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to change it back after, after Scott made the call to you, but right. Trey, Trey was like, you know what? Let's keep this just, just to be a little bit original. But, but of course, the, the, to me, the, the, the funniest thing about the evening was nobody had told me about the Small House of Uncle Thomas parody from The King and I. So I was there paying very close attention to I Have Confidence in Me. It came. I thought, that's, that's fine. I think that's fine. And then, okay, now I just enjoy the rest of the show. And it's like when the Small House of Uncle Thomas came in, I thought, now I'm on the floor. This is, this is truly, truly funny. Well, yeah, we did, we did um, watch that movie. Uh, <laughs> But it, you know, um, in, in, in a funny way, I mean, I do think back to the, the, the sense that your work has heart. Roger and Hammerstein had heart, and I think people understand that. And there's been some musicals in recent years that don't understand that. They don't want that. They want something else, and mm-hmm. I think that's very important. Also, and you may disagree with me, but I think that there's a fine tradition in the musical theater of, of I, I don't know what it is. Sondheim calls it pastiche, maybe homage. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people forget that Get Me to the Church on Time is not an authentic musical song. And Edelweiss is actually not an Austrian folk song. It's a, it's a right. song in a musical. And, you know, in a funny way, the all-American prophet to me sounds a little bit like Joseph and the Amazing Technology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, because it's sort of, you know. Well, I think when you're a creative person and you're, and you're trying to make a living from it, you're always in that position of, oh, how am I going to be creative at this moment when I don't feel it and I don't feel inspired? And I, and when I, one of the things I learned in BMI was a great tradition that started with Fremel and Romberg and all those people that, that they would, the lyricist would write, uh, a lyric, um, with their, and with two another melody. To another melody. Um, like, uh, like if ever I would leave you, um, from Camelot is, is written to, um, some enchanted evening. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I if, didn't know that one. If ever I would leave you, it wouldn't be in springtime. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I only knew an ordinary couple that. from Sound of Music written to the last time I saw Paris, which is a much better melody than the melody <laughs> written by it. Um, yeah, so. No, but that's good, though. And then, right? then challenge mean, then, the composer to then, come up with Well, something. yeah, but the composer shouldn't know, I guess. That's, yeah. that's, that's what they told us in BMI. Like, well, Richard Rodgers didn't, or, you know, uh, Frederick Lowe didn't know that it was based on that song. So, so he had, you know, so he wrote what he wrote. Um, we tend to uh, know what our models are as we're writing, but you know Stravinsky said, "Steal." What did he say? Steal from the best. Steal from the best. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or, or something like, "Don't imitate, steal." Right. Right. Um, right. So I don't know. But do, do you feel yourself primarily a composer? I suppose so. I I feel like I I yes I guess so. I, I'm always the one sitting at the piano. People tell me what to play sometimes. Right. Um, and Trey Trey also sat at the piano for Mormon too. Um, once in a while, Jeff would sit at the piano, but um, but I, I mean, for some reason, I've always felt instinctively that that you're, you're a composer. Also, you're a composer who who loves and writes melodies, which I think mm-hmm. one of the things that distinguishes you brilliantly, and I think why you've won two Tony Awards. Congratulations! Mm-hmm. You know, is that you write songs that people can actually sing the melodies. Okay. And I I wanted to ask you, since you talked about Sondheim, what do you think your biggest influence from Sondheim was? I think it's his his use of music. I mean, his his what the thing that I spend my time thinking about is what's a new way to introduce a song into a scenario, into a situation. What's a different way of doing that? I think that's what Sondheim spends his time thinking about too. That's what I get from his because you know when you have the fairground music in Assassins, that is that's chilling. Right. I mean, you know, you're sitting into you know you're walking into a a musical about presidential assassins. And and you're in kind of a ghostly carnival, and here comes. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, it's just it's a it's a brilliant use of music, and I, and it's not you know bum 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 bum. It's not genius. It's not that right. that the tech the fabric of that. It, there's no you know brilliant. <laughs> right, right. It's just where he put it when he put it, and and that's what I try and um, aspire to to take music, and I think the same is true of. Things like My Fair Lady, when you know, when you have I could have danced all night. It's the it's where that music, you know, when she's trying to go to bed and can't, right? And she, and that music just lifts her out of bed. It's such a it it just makes that music taste better, <laughs> you yeah. know. It, and also in, in in an interview I, I read with you where where you talked about how you know the, the nature, just the whole notion of people breaking into song is unreal. Yeah. Therefore, the challenge is how do you make it so everybody buys it is perfectly real for the situation. Right. Um, and you do that very well. Well, <laughs> I feel like um, when I started out um, in the late 90s, that musicals in my generation were very much uh, sniffed at. And so I needed we needed to confront that problem because we wanted to write a show uh, in Avenue Q that, that people in our own generation would like to see. So that's hence the puppets. The puppets were our way in um, to you know it, it's I'm always thinking about that too about well you shouldn't just be writing a show about a boy and a girl meeting right. and breaking up and there's got to be something more to it than that that necessitates the music and also uh, the other thing I think about that I got from uh, you know a, a, like just going to other sh- like not musicals um, is that this notion of drama and music together is 
is not this brand new thing that started with Rodgers and Hammerstein. It, it very much goes to the, yes, <laughs> the, the ancient roots of civilization. And, and to remember that, not just to think about the BMI rules and the, um, and, and Rodgers and Hammerstein, um, even though that, that is our richest tradition of theater and music, but, but there's, you know, Shakespeare used music in weird ways. Oh, yeah. Do you feel when you write that you have the Yale students, you know, a, a, a mentality of, of, of somebody not a middle-aged, gray-haired, tired <laughs> businessman coming to the theater? Oh, um, no, I don't, you know, I don't think about the gray-haired businessman. I always think about what I want to see. I don't even think, of, you know, you just, you just think about what you want to go right. see. And, uh, uh, I if think, you, the, you know. If you believe in it and love it, they yeah, will. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, if you're if you're entertaining, I think that's the one of the wonderful things that I realized graduating um, was I went to David. Z- I was <laughs> I got a job house sitting at David Zippel's, and uh, they were redoing the, the floor. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, I just they were redoing the floor, and the floor was just so beautiful. And I thought musicals paid for this beautiful floor, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I thought if I can write the right kind of show, if I can, you know, I could. I'm yeah. lucky enough to be in an art form that's still commercial. Like right. it's an art form and it's commercial. Right. Like I don't have to worry about being a professor. <laughs> and you can have your own beautiful floor. Exactly. I want to talk a little bit after Avenue Q opened, which I read somewhere was your first professional experience. But then in the seven years between that and the Book of Mormon, you did several interesting projects, including the episode of Scrubs mm-hmm. and the South Park with the musical theater. Oh, that was after Book <laughs> of Mormon, Book but that Mormon. was pretty pretty funny. <laughs> um how did those things come about? Did people come and see Avenue Q and then find you and say, you know, like the Disney Finding Nemo and stuff like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, what happened was um, after Avenue Q, I got a, a lot of um, a lot of interest. Uh, Jeff and I did. And we took a number of projects, um, both of which – two projects that we kind of were set on that didn't pan out and were, left us very kind of disheartened. But at the same time – I had just gotten married to Kristen, and we were looking for ways to spend more time together. Right. Um, and they approached Kristen with this idea for a Finding Nemo musical in the parks. Um, and she brought me in on it, and um, it turned into this wonderful labor of love that, that we were able to kind of pour our feelings about being new parents into. Uh, it was a great experience, and it turned out to be, you know, it was, it was great to, like, stay working on something that happened and was positive um, while, you know, other things weren't happening. Yeah. So it so it's you are proof that there actually one can have a career in this day and age <laughs> writing musicals. I suppose. I mean, there's there's wonderful. You know, if you're willing to write for children, there's all this work all the time. There's all these TV shows. You wouldn't believe how many children's shows have songs in them. Um, I was lucky enough to get to uh, work with Little Airplane Productions on The Wonder Pets, which is this. A lot of Broadway and uh, and New York theater writers have done. Uh, Jason Robert Brown and. Um, Michael John yeah. McCusa. Uh, it's this great, this fantastic series that uh, it was basically like a little Gilbert and Sullivan operetta every week about these little classroom pets saving an animal in another country. That's good. So as we're, as we're sitting here, the Book of Mormon has been running for 10 totally sold out months. <laughs> Um, and clearly, there will be uh, touring productions. The Book of Mormon will occupy your time for you know for a while. But what's the new project? Um, there's there's a bunch of new projects. We're very busy. Um, Kristen and I, we just did Winnie the Pooh. Uh, right. This, uh, this movie it came out last and summer. And you sing on one of the songs. Oh, a couple yeah. of songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sing on a couple of them. Kristen is Kanga in the movie. I don't know how we got <laughs> we lucked out on that, but. Um, 
That's a multi-talented family. <laughs> and your daughter's pretty soon, and it's time for the get, get them Katie up on. Katie just auditioned for the, for the uh, Broadway James Lapine Annie oh. um, so she, and I, had a great time. <laughs> um, you Anyways. don't want to be stage parents. I no, don't no, think. no, 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 no. <laughs> but Annie would make an exception. Right. Um, no, the, uh, the the thing we're most uh, focused on right now is a new uh, animation project for Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a you know a princess type movie. The next one of those, and. Um, uh, we're also up here. Are you doing is up and here? up here, which is a, a project I've been working on very, uh, very hard on uh, with Kristen for the last five years is finally gearing up again for um, for some more uh, more development and and hopefully pretty soon a production to be announced. How can you what can you tell us about up here that will make us, you know, <laughs> wait with eager, <laughs> eagerly to see what it's about? Well, well, um, remember what I said about about a boy and a girl and all that stuff and how you shouldn't write about that. Thanks. It's a. Well, <laughs> it, it tells that same story about you know boy meets girl, boy loses girl, love triumphs, but it's really about consciousness. It's about this guy's mind, and it's uh, it, it takes place in his brain. We see him interact with the girl, and at the same time, there's a big chorus, uh, dancing, moving, uh, singing, acting chorus. All these stage effects. It's about this man's consciousness and how his consciousness and how consciousness isolates us really isolates us from other people mm-hmm. that uh, you can never really be in someone else's mind and that, and how misunderstandings are are innate to our existence um, there there's no you can be as close as possible to someone and you still really don't know the slightest thing about them <laughs> about what goes through their you know the assumptions they make the memories they have the just the the infinity of things that are in their head and so so the audience is in this guy's head and it's all about how um you know how he how how misunderstanding divides them and how love uh, brings them back together and what about it is where are you going that you haven't been before in this case? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm trying, we're trying to make it about, it's not all about the laughs. It's about, it's, it's, you're supposed to feel, um, uh, we're trying to go deeper with the emotions mm-hmm. and, um, also bigger. It's a bigger on, you know, it's about the vastness of, of, of your brain and, uh, and your soul. And, and so it's a, it's a bigger sold thing and it's a very ambitious project. So that's what makes it hard to, to envision. Yeah. Is it ultimately a Broadway show or is it something else? I hope so. I hope it's a Broadway show, but you know, you can't, not, not every show you write is lucky enough to be one, but I, I hope one day. Right. But I would certainly think that, you know, you, you have Broadway cred. God knows <laughs> you have Broadway cred. If anybody could get a show on, on Broadway. I don't, I don't know if anyone has Broadway cred enough to just do that. <laughs> but I, I'm very lucky to be able to get to do what I do and to be able to, you know, I think it's good to stay humble because once you start to think you know anything, life shows you opposite. Um, so I've, I've approached all these projects thinking that I'm kind of a beginner and I tr- hope to keep that frame of mind. <laughs> Great story that um, Clay Richardson, who was a wonderful composer but didn't have a lot of Broadway uh, good luck, got on the bus and one day and John Kander was sitting on the bus. And he said, you know, John, you can afford a cab. And John said, keeps me humble. You've got to stay on the bus. So, uh, Well, I don't ride the bus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, listen, on, 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 on that wonderfully New York note, um, we could go on talking forever. But thank you, Bobby. This has been great having you and great having you as part of Downstage Center. I appreciate it. And thank good you. luck on all the projects. Thanks. Hello, I'm Heather Hitchens, Executive Director of the American Theater Wing. I hope you enjoyed today's edition of Downstage Center. 
Downstage Center is recorded in the CUNY TV radio studio at the City University of New York's Graduate School of Journalism in Manhattan. Our engineer for today's show is Chad Bernhard. Along with this program, all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free at americantheaterwing.org. If you're a regular listener to or viewer of Wing programs, we hope you'll consider giving us financial support to sustain our work. Just visit our website, americantheaterwing.org, and click Support ATW. For Downstage Center and the American Theater Wing, thanks for your support and thanks for listening.